The following message is brought to you by Cashin First Baptist Church and Pastor Greg Davis in Cashin, Oklahoma. For more information about Cashin FBC, please visit cashinfbc.org. What I'm going to say today, you heard last week. What we're going to do is get to the end of this with some more specific applications, but I want to tell you this, that it's good to have a redundancy of truth. It's good to be exposed to the same truths over and over and over. That's how God sanctifies us and works in our life. And so if you have your Bible there to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to read verses 15 and 16 together. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, you are a good and loving shepherd. And Lord, we certainly know that you guide us into the paths of righteousness. You are there in our times of suffering. God, as the Bible says, you're good to us. The lyrics to that song say you've had a plan for us. And God, I pray, Lord, that we would know that you're there for us in our times of difficulty. And Lord, most importantly, you take us to the place of maturity in Christ because of your grace. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are quick to obey. And I pray all of this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I want to recap a couple of truths that we discussed last week and You'll recall these if you were here. If you're not, this will be, be your first exposure to it. But it's all things that we need to hear. And the first thing was this. What we believe is important. Truth is important. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in all of his letters, I told you this. For him, this is not a take it or leave it. It's not a preference thing. It is quite literally the difference between life and death and heaven and hell when it comes to this idea of exposing ourselves to the truth. But on the other side of that scale is how we live that is also extremely important. And you might go so far this morning as saying that God has appointed to each each and every man, woman, and child a certain what we would call Christian lifestyle. A Christian lifestyle. Now, I want to make clear what this means. This is not found in t-shirts and bumper stickers. When we talk about a Christian lifestyle, I think some people think about what we stick on the back of our car, what we're willing to wear in public in the way of a a t-shirt. But what we're talking about when we talk about this issue of lifestyle is how we live out our day-to-day Christianity. Now, if you'll take your eyes down to verse 15, you'll see that Paul calls this in verse 15, our walk with the Lord. Therefore, be careful how you walk. If you have a New International Version, be careful how you live. This term is about our conduct. It is quite literally about our way of living. And if you were here last week, you remember this, that this living manifests itself in certain ways. And the first of those is in verse 15. He says the word careful there. Be careful how you walk. Uh, This Christian life, this Christian day-by-day existence is a careful life. 
Now, if you don't know what that means, the term as we peel back the layers on that is the idea of precision. We're living with precision. We're living with accuracy. We're living with intentionality. And and I want to say this to you. This is the opposite of careless living. We want to be intentional in how we live out the Christian life. Now, I want to stop right here and ask you this question this morning. Does that describe your Christian life? A careful Christian life, a a precise and accurate Christian life. Are you someone who just says, like we talked about last week, I never even think about this when applying it to my Christian life. Now, the second thing that we see here in verse 15, not only is it a careful Christian life, but it's a wisely lived Christian life. Uh, Notice there at the end of the verse, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Now, this is that idea I told you that we're living in such a way that we're putting God in everything we do, every consideration we have, everything that we do, every move that we make. We're thinking about God in those things. Am I being pleasing to him? Is this glorifying to him? But last week, we just kind of generalized this. I want to get a little bit more specific this morning by having you turn your Bible to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And if you'll put your finger on verse 13 and then also on verse 17, we're going to kind of look at this principle of what the wise person with this careful, precise walk, what this looks like in their life. Look at verse 13. It begins with a question, who among you is wise and understanding? Now, if we had a room this size, and I assume there's close to 200 people in this room, if I were to ask that question, who among you is wise and understanding, I bet most of you would probably raise your hand in the affirmative. And you'd be willing to say, as everybody looks around, you don't want to be uncomfortable, you don't want to left out. So the old and the young alike would have their hand up in the room. And then James, in this letter that he writes, always follows up with this, then prove it. You see, James is all about the manifestation of wisdom, the manifestation of faith. So James doesn't just ask a question and then leave it open-ended. He always follows up with an example of this. Let's see how he does this in verse 13. He says, let him show. There's the idea of proving it. And how does a man or woman prove that they're wise and understanding in the way uh, that that they live? He says, let them show by his good behavior. Brothers and sisters, when you go back to Ephesians chapter 5 and we say there's this issue of living and it's the word that when we peel back the layers, we get the idea of conduct. That's exactly what James says. This is not in any way in conflict. James says, if you're wise and understanding, it's going to show up in your behavior. That's your day-to-day living. That's why, by uh, things that you do in your Christian life. But he also says, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. So there's your actions as well. And you say, okay, what does this look like in my deeds and my actions? Well, James is actually going to tell us If you look in verse 17, he says there's a wisdom from above. When we're putting God first, when we're thinking about God's glory, when we're submitting to his will, when we're living lives that are pleasing to him, we're thinking about what comes from above. It's first pure, 
been peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. So this is the reality. This is the reality that you and I live careful lives. That's the Christian life we're to live. That's precise and and with intentionality, but we also live wise lives, that we think about how we live out our life, putting God first in everything that we do. Now, I want to make sure, if you'll go back to Ephesians with me, I want to make sure that you pay close attention to something. And that is to direct your eyes back down to verse 16. And if you weren't here last week, I want to tell you what I told everybody here last week. Verse 16 is an application of verse 15. Verse 16 is an application of verse 15. You say, what does it look like when a person lives a a careful life and they live a wise life? How does that manifest itself? Well, here's how it manifests itself. Verse 16, making the most of your time. When you live the careful life, when you live the wise life, you think about how you spend your time. Now, some of you remember this. We're not talking about here, although it's included, we're not talking about time on a clock. Am I utilizing the best, am I making the best use of my time in a 24-hour period? That's included, but that's not it. Do you remember the word that I gave you last week behind that word time? It is the word kairos. And here's specifically what that means. There is a season or an opportunity that God grants all of us. Are we using that to the best of our ability? Are we utilizing it? That's what the word means. A season or an opportunity. That's what Kairos is. Now, I want to show you an example of this by turning uh, to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. I'm going to start reading actually at verse 24, but I want you to be there ready to look at verse 26. Acts 17, starting in verse 26. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Uh, Essentially, this is talking about God's independence. He doesn't need somewhere to, to dwell. He doesn't need you serving him. He allows us to do that. But notice the follow up. In verse 26, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined, now this is where I want you to underline in your Bible, their appointed times. That's the word kairos there. This is the idea of a season, an opportunity, or an appointed time. That's what Paul says. The believer who's living out the day-to-day Christian life, who's making uh, this, this kind of precise and accurate life, who's living wisely, they are going to make the most, and some of your translations have it there, they are going to make the most of every single opportunity. Every window that God gives them, they're going to maximize the time in that window. Now, here's what I want to do. And we're going to get there. Just hold with me for just a minute. 
I want us to discuss some of the areas that you should think of with urgency today. That's, that's what Paul's talking about. There's a window. It's going to close. There, there's never going to be another opportunity to do this. I want you to think in those areas and those opportunities that will not last forever. But before we do that, I want to read you a handful of scriptures, okay? I want you to jot these down, put them in the margin of your Bible, put them in your notebook, starting at Psalm 90, verse 12. I don't want you to turn there, just want you to listen. Teach us, the psalmist says, to realize the brevity of life. The psalmist says, teach us to, to think about or to realize the brevity of life. And you sit here and you're going to say, that sounds kind of morbid, doesn't it? Right? That, that we would sit around and think about how short our life is? What's the benefit of this? The psalmist says, here's the benefit, so that we may grow in wisdom. Did you know, young people, that if you understand life is short, you'll live a, a better life? A life with more intention and more purpose when you say, hey, this isn't going to last forever. Psalm 9, uh, 39, verse 4. Let me know how transient I am. I don't know if any of you ever go downtown and you see the increasing population of homeless people there. And you can go to one corner one day and they're there and the next day they've moved on. Why? Because that's called transient lifestyle. We're never in one place very long. And that's exactly what the psalmist says. Let me understand that I'm just a resident for a very, very short period of time. Psalm 144 verse 4. The psalmist says, man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Brevity of life. Now, Job understood this. Job suffered greatly, and Job said this, Remember that my life is but a breath. Now, I want to give you the best of all of these. James chapter 4, verse 14. And I want to tell you why I want to give you this one. James is talking about people who are doing long-term planning without God in the consideration. They're saying, we're going to go to this or that city. We're going to stay there for a while. We're going to make money, and then we're going to move on. And, and here's what James says. Hey, it's great to make plans, but you might include God in those things. And, and why does he say this? He says, you're a vapor. You're a vapor. And he says, that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Brothers and sisters, hear me for just one moment. The principle in all of this, when we talk about a season or an opportunity and all of these verses, is to show you that life is short. And if we are going to nail down living with intentionality, we must understand that principle first. We are not going to be here forever. This life is brief. For some, it's more brief than others. But here is the reality. We're all here for a short time. Jonathan Edwards. I don't know if you've ever heard that name, but if you studied literature in college or literature in high school, you probably heard the, the, the story that he wrote or the, the essay that he wrote, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And, and some of you are shaking your head in the affirmative. You remember that. But Jonathan Edwards uh, was a pastor. He was a theologian. He was a scholar. And he wrote a lot of works. But one of the things that he kept was a diary between the ages of 18 and 20. 
And in that diary, this is what he essentially said. He said, I want to set forth a set of resolutions as a young man. Now, you think about resolutions on New Year's Eve, but, but Jonathan Edwards said, I, I want some principles that I'll live my life by, that I won't compromise on. And he came up with 70 of these. 13 of them in that diary could be categorized under the, the heading of time management. I want to give you two of them. Resolution number five. This is what Jonathan Edwards said. Resolve never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. I don't want to squander what God has given me, is what Edwards is saying here. Resolution number seven. Now, young people, this is the best one you're ever going to hear. Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were my last hour, if it were the last hour of my life. Now, all of us know if we were in the last hour of our life, there are things we wouldn't do. And Edward says, I want that at the forefront of my mind every single day that I live. Young people, what an incredible gift it would be for you to do that now. To hold on to the reality that time is short now rather than realizing that later in life. So here's what I want to do today. I want to give you four areas of urgency in our life. Four areas of urgency that all of us should live with a sense of urgency. First area is gospel urgency. Gospel urgency. And I want to put two things in this category. First, we need to respond to the gospel with a sense of urgency. And you say, well, what does that mean? What should a person do when they hear the preaching of the gospel? When they hear that Jesus Christ, John 14, 6, is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to be reconciled back to the Father. And there's an invitation extended. What do you do with that information? Do you sit and ponder that for a lifetime? Is that what the Bible calls you to do with it? Right? I, I'm just going to sit and reflect on this for the rest of my life. Or do you sit and say, uh, that message is not for me, right? We hear the gospel and we say, that, that, that message is not for me, that's for somebody else. Or maybe, young people hear me, maybe you sit and you say, maybe when I'm older, right? When I'm older, then I'll respond to this. Is that what the Bible calls us to do? No, I'm going to tell you, the Bible tells you to respond with a sense of urgency. Would you turn with me to the Old Testament, to Isaiah chapter 55? If you can find Psalms and Proverbs, and then turn to the right there, Psalms and Proverbs, Isaiah chapter 55. And I want you to look at just one verse with me, verse 6. Would everybody look at verse 6 and notice that first commandment there, seek? That is the commandment given to every person. We're to seek. We're to be seekers. And what are we to seek? The Lord, he says here. And, and if you say, what does that mean, seek the Lord? That word, the term behind that is where we get the word Yahweh. And some of you, if you have a legacy standard Bible, does anybody have a legacy standard Bible out there? If anybody has a legacy standard Bible, they're the only ones, maybe that in a Christian uh, standard Bible or Holman Christian standard Bible, they probably translate that, seek Yahweh. 
That means that you and I, when we put our energies into seeking the Lord, need to seek the one true God. We don't want to waste our time on on, uh, legends and fables and myths and all those things. And people, trust me, devote lots of time to that. The the writer here, uh, Isaiah says, seek the Lord. Now notice here the urgency. Does everybody see that word while? Seek the Lord while he may be found. I was a product of the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. Okay, that kind of indicate my age. But I remember on television when I was a small child, there were always warehouse sales. Does anybody remember the warehouse sales? There would be TVs or there would be appliances or there would be uh, a, a certain amount of love seats or a certain amount of recliners. And the salesman would get on there. You remember this? Anybody born in the 70s, 80s, or 90s? A salesman would get on there and he would say, get down here now. And you remember what he would say? While, you, say it with me, while supplies last. Now, what was he trying to do? He was trying to co- convince you that there is a closing window of opportunity. Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe in Philippians 1, 6, that God starts a good work, he completes it. But I'm also going to tell you this. The Bible says, don't presume that you have forever. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And then notice here, call upon him. Here's urgency again. While he is near. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. I want everybody to look up here for just a minute. When is the Lord near? Anytime the gospel's preached. Anytime the gospel is preached and you hear the gospel preached, he's near. What do you need to do? Respond. Call upon him. I I, want to give you some terms in the Bible that every single time, I I couldn't find a time that it wasn't this way. Well, there was one time, and I'm going to share it with you. Jesus was talking to a man, and he said this about responding to the gospel. Count the cost. Count the cost. I don't think Jesus meant count the cost for the next 25 years when he said that. But Jesus did say there, be cautious and and, and plan things out and think through things. But let me tell you, every other place that I looked, when it talks about the sharing of the gospel, there's always words of urgency. Let me give you some of those. Paul says this, now is the acceptable time. Do you hear the urgency there? Now is the acceptable time. How about this one for the book of Hebrews? Today is the day of salvation. Young people, not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, not when you're 25 or 30. Today is the day of salvation. Let me give you one from the lips of Jesus in the Gospels. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Jesus says the king is standing here right now. The king is standing here and he's preaching and you have an opportunity to respond. The kingdom is at hand. I want to ask every person in this room, have you responded to the gospel? Have you responded? Do you understand the sense of urgency when you hear the gospel that you need to respond? Or are you delaying? Are you delaying? There's a story told in the New Testament book of Acts. 
The Apostle Paul is preaching the gospel. And he's in front of a man that we call King Agrippa. And he stands in front of a King Agrippa and he shares the gospel. And King Agrippa looks at Paul and he says this. Do you think you can persuade me to believe in such a short period of time? Now, did King Agrippa go and, and contemplate all Paul had said and come back and, and said, you know what, I, I got to thinking about it. I think I need to make a decision. I need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that was the final conversation they ever had. I don't know that Agrippa ever heard the gospel again. And what does Isaiah chapter 55 say? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Now, the second part of this urgency is not found in responding to the gospel, but it's when we've already responded to the gospel that we have a responsibility to be urgent in sharing the gospel. We now extend the gospel, hold forth the gospel, and we do that with a sense of urgency. And I want to tell you what this does not mean. It does not mean that you pressure people or manipulate people. A lot of people think that's what urgency is. I have to pressure them. I have to manipulate them. I have to deprive them of sleep and see if I can get them to respond to this. That's not what that's talking about. It is this realization. This may be the only time that I stand before this person to share the gospel with them. Isn't that what Paul did with Agrippa? <laughs> when he realized there's a season or an opportunity and I'm going to seize that. So two things. We have to have an urgency in responding to the gospel, and we have to have an urgency in sharing the gospel. Would you turn with me to John chapter 9? And I want to show you the third area that we need a sense of urgency, and that is the urgency of gospel ministry. The urgency of gospel ministry. John chapter 9. And I want you to look with me at verse 4. Now, before you do that, let me set up a little bit of context here. Jesus is about to heal a man who's blind. And the disciples say, did this man sin? Did his mom and dad sin? What caused his blindness? And you and I, if we're honest, sometimes we look at people's lives and they're kind of messed up and we say, what sin caused their suffering? And Jesus says, that's not the purpose behind this. Verse 3, if you'll look back, he says, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Uh, I was talking about this in my Sunday school class. God has a bigger plan than you and I can often see. But look at what he says in verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me. God the Father sent Jesus on a mission to do specific works. And one of them was to remove blindness from people's eyes. And he says, I have to do that because God sent me to do that. Now, does that mean all physical blindness gets healed? No, that's not what that means. But Jesus did this in a specific way by coming and removing spiritual blindness. And he says it right there in verse 4. I've come to do this to do the works of the one who sent me. Now, look at what he says here at the end of the verse. As long as it is day. 
for most of us, daytime is when we work unless you work night shift. And if you work night shift, I pray for you, okay? Because one time in my life, I had to go in at uh, 3.30 or 4.30 in the morning, a uh, very short-lived job for me, in the oil field, and I would call Gretchen every day and say, when can I quit? And she would say, you can't quit because we need income. <laughs> and I would say, please let me quit. I'm hearing the whistle blow at 5.30. I'm hearing the whistle blow at 7.30. I'm hearing the whistle blow. This is not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is not talking about uh, that we need to work hard during an eight-hour day. But I believe Jesus here is speaking of a God-ordained season of ministry. And Jesus understands, hear me, that that window will eventually close. Look at at verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Brothers and sisters, do you understand that that window of opportunity for Jesus only lasted three years? Jesus lived for 30 years, was in the ministry for three years, and the reality was he said, I have a short period of time to do the work God has sent me to do. Here's the principle for you and I. Work hard while you can. Don't wait for a better time. Don't assume you can do it at retirement age. All of us have a window and that window, hear me this morning, is now to do gospel ministry. When I was a young believer, just just literally converted for Uh, A few months, I met a godly man who took me under his wing. And to this day, I call him my mentor. And many of you know his name. His name's Tim Stewart. Tim Stewart took me under his wings. Taught me how to preach. He taught me how to study the Bible. Taught me how to read the Bible. Taught me how to be a godly father before I ever had children. I mean, literally, he invested his life in me. And that relationship lasted for 15 years. But early on, Tim knew that I was called to the ministry and he would sit across the table from me and he would ask me this question every time. He would say, tell me your plans. And so I would lay out the plan that Gretchen and I, I wanted to go to OBU and then I wanted to go from OBU to go, go to Southwestern and then want to go from Southwestern to try to get a PhD and then eventually I wanted to teach and do all this and that. And Tim would say, that's good. What are you doing today? And it always made me step back and reflect (laughs) that that Tim says, those are all good plans and you should put them in place, but what are you doing today? You see what he understood? There's a window and it may for some of us be very short-lived. 1969, John MacArthur became the pastor of Grace Community Church. And when I was converted... And I would drive to work with my headphones on. Do you know what I would hear playing in my ear? I I would play Christian radio all day long from 8 a.m. until 5 p.m. I would listen to sermons all day long. And his was one of the first ones to come on. And I mean, you talk about someone that preached with fire. He could preach with fire. About four years ago, Gretchen and I had the opportunity to go to John MacArthur's church to the Truth Matters conference. And, And I noticed that John MacArthur had slowed down quite a bit at that point. But there were men in his circles who said, John MacArthur can still work circles around the the younger guys. He can still preach and teach and go and blow, and and he just goes hard. And then last year, Gretchen and I went to the Southern Baptist Convention in California, and he was there and he preached. 
And you know what she noticed? Is that they had to help him physically get on the stage. And he would pause and he'd drink his water because he had dry mouth. Now, he was about 82 years old then. And he still preached for an hour. And Gretchen said, anybody that's 82 that's willing to preach for an hour, I'm going to listen the whole time. Fast forward to about two weeks ago. John MacArthur preaches two services every week. He was only able to preach the first one. And all the church said is he needed to go home and rest. He's 83 years old. And I can promise you this because I know guys in this circle, those closest to him say he's nearing the end of a faithful ministry. 53 years, faithful ministry, but there was still a season or an opportunity to work really hard. Let me give you the fourth thing. And, and, and I want to say this to you this morning. If you've not listened to any of this, if you've not listened to any of this, would you stop and say, Greg, I'm going to give you the next five to seven minutes. There is a sense of gospel urgency in gospel reconciliation. There's urgency in gospel reconciliation. Yes, gospel urgency, sharing the gospel, hearing the gospel, responding to the gospel. Yes, gospel ministry, but also, and this is one we don't often think of, is gospel reconciliation. Now, I want to clarify something before we delve into this. The gospel call has an urgency when it speaks of us and God. God and man. And I want to share this with you. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Listen to what Paul says. We beg you. I don't know if you've ever begged someone for something, but when you beg, you're not saying, hey, if you get around to it. No, you're begging and you're pleading for them to do something. And he says this, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So there's that urgency that we talked about earlier. Paul says, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you, don't wait. You may not have tomorrow, do it today. But there's a second half to the gospel, and it's called reconciliation, that requires urgency between us and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. There's also a gospel urgency in that. And we must recognize to forgive quickly and reconcile quickly because there will be a time that is not possible. So would you turn with me? We're going to go to two places, and then we're going to close in prayer, okay? Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Verses 23 and 24. And this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus Christ teaching the greatest sermon he's ever teached, uh, he's ever preached. It lasts for many, many chapters. That means Jesus preached for a long time. Okay? Right? We can preach for a long time too. Uh, Jesus preached for a long time. This is a big sermon that he preached. And one of the things he's talking about here are our interpersonal relationships. Look at what he says here in verse 23. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar. Now stop right there for just a minute. I want you to imagine the 21st century equivalent to this that Eddie Blosser and Randy and Dirk and some others have come up and they're going to take the offering up. And we would say in a Baptist church, that's a pretty big moment. 
I mean, we take the time to devote giving tithes and offerings to the Lord. We do this. We're solemn in it. We're not silly about it. We pray before it. We consider what we're going to give to the Lord. That's the moment we're talking about. Imagine this in our context, that you're offering your offering. And notice what it says here. And there, remember, God brings to your mind in the middle of the offering that your brother has something against you. Now, don't miss this in verse 24. You say, in your mind, if you're reading this and you stop at verse 23, give your offering, go home, think about who you need to forgive, pray about it for a few weeks. I mean, maybe, maybe uh, even get down and you write a letter to somebody and you tear it up because you don't want to give it to him. Would you, would you look at what he says here? Leave your offering there before the altar, and go. Can I ask you a question? Is worship important to the Lord? 100%. One of the most important things you will ever do is step into the doors of this church and worship. Listening to the word, uh, singing, giving your praise and offering uh, through giving your finances to the church so that it can be used to further the kingdom. It's one of the most important things you can do. But Jesus says, hit the pause button on that and do what? First, here's the urgency. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if you have a relationship that needs to be mended and you've been contemplating it for 22 years. But if there's someone in your life you need to reconcile with, you do it according to the Bible now. And it says it's so important that you leave the church stuff behind, you take care of the relationship, and then you come back and worship. And I want to say this to you this morning. Worship's important. Studying the Bible is important, but I can tell you the two things that Jesus said are most important is your relationship with the Lord first. And you know what he says is just as important? Your relationship to those around you. So I want to ask you a question. Is there someone you're waiting to forgive? Is there someone you need to pick up the phone or write a letter or, or, or just say, hey, I want to step into this sense of reconciliation and I want to do it now. One other place I want you to turn, Ephesians chapter 4. And then we're going to close in prayer. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Notice at the head of verse 27 or verse 26, a strange request. Be angry. What if the pastor stood up before you this morning and said, you need to be angry? <laughs> okay, let's put this into context. There are times that we can be angry about the right things, and there are times we can be angry about the wrong things. Jesus cleansing the temple was done out of anger, but the right kind of anger. He says, be angry and yet do not sin. That's what we want to avoid. We want to avoid sinful anger. And the Apostle Paul says, there's times you're going to be angry, but we want to not sin in our anger. Now, notice what he says here. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. 
Now, some of you are sitting here and you're thinking about being out in the garage and you have your hammer and you hit the end of your thumb and you get angry. Gretchen says this, I don't very often get angry at her or the kids, but I do get often mad at inanimate objects. My keys, the television, hitting my finger with a hammer and, and, and getting angry. And you're imagining in your mind, because you want to kind of ease this text in your mind, you're saying, well, in those times, I, I need to make sure I don't go to bed angry. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about in the context of relationships. We don't ever want a relationship to move into the next day unreconciled. Letting anger put a division between us. And why does he say it? He tells us in verse 27. Did you see this? Do not give the devil an opportunity. An unreconciled relationship is the devil's playground. Promise you that. I, I mean, I, Gretchen and I talk about this. I talk about it in the first service. You will see families who still don't meet for Christmas 25 years after something happened. Seriously. Talk to your friends, talk to your peers, and, and, and they'll say this. They'll say, I, I don't ever, I, I'm never going to be around. I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do that. And, and we say, why? And they say, well, 25 years ago, sitting around the dinner table, somebody said something, and I'm never forgiven them. Never forgiven them. There is an urgency that you and I have in reconciling relationships. Do it today. Now, I'm going to tell you this as I close my Bible. I am, I am fully aware that reconciliation takes two parties. But if you have someone who's asking for your forgiveness, move forward in forgiveness. Reconcile today. Would you stand with me? I am... So thankful that we get to study the word together week in and week out as a family, as a church family. And I pray that God has moved in your heart today to get you to that place of urgency. To understand that we have a short window of time. All of us have a short window of time. We look, and I, and I was talking about one particular illustration of this morning, but I look at my dad's life who made it 74, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, a 10-year journey to get out of that. And we look back and we say, it went like that, right? There's a short period in all things in life. And, and I want to do this, and I didn't do it in the first service, but I'm going to do it in the second service. I want to read to you something uh, from the Old Testament, and, and then we're going to close in prayer. If I can find it. There is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. Time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. 
a time to tear apart and a time to sew together, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, plant in our hearts a sense of urgency. God, for some, it's their reconciliation with you. Lord, that they need to step into a relationship today. And I pray that you would give them the heart to believe. Lord, for others, it's ministry that they've neglected and opportunities that they've neglected to to spread your kingdom. And I pray today that you'd plant a sense of urgency in them. And Lord, for others, it's it's an urgency to reconcile a relationship that they've been waiting too long to reconcile. And I pray that today would be the day. God, we thank you and we praise you for your word that that searches us and it searches the thoughts and intentions of our heart in a way that nothing else can. And so, Lord, I pray that you lay us open, bare before you today. In Jesus' name, amen. following message is brought to you by Cashin First Baptist Church in Cashin, Oklahoma. For more information about our church, please visit cashinfbc.org.